We're starting a new series today that's called You Ask For It. And uh, the question that we're asking, it, it didn't get asked, but it does get asked all the time. But it comes out different ways. The question is like this. Is parenting worth it? Is... Well, there's your answer right there. And what do I say when that happens? I say, pray for that kid. Yeah. We're with you. Yeah. If you're a mom, thank you for all that you've done. There are seasons when you are thanked and seasons, quite frankly, when you're not thanked. But we're grateful regardless, and the Lord smiles from heaven because the family was God's idea. Being a mom is a high and holy calling. And uh, if you're a mom, thank you for your investment in the future generation. And some of you are really, really good at this. Some of you are good at certain stages, and you know that. You're a preschooler mom. You're good with babies. You're good with teens. And you know, you know but you, you, know, you get them all eventually, and you have to be good at it all. I'm, I think of that, especially when I read the words of an author by the name of, of Leanne Kupferger Carter, when she calls it advanced motherhood. She writes it this way. You know you've crossed the threshold into advanced motherhood when... You count the sprinkles on each kid's cupcake to make sure they're equal. You've crossed into the threshold of advanced motherhood when you have time to only shave one leg at a time. You hide in the bathroom to be alone. So I heard an amen there. Yes, that's true. Your child throws up on you and you catch it. Yeah. Someone else's kid throws up at a party and you keep eating. It doesn't bother you. You know that you are an advanced mom when you consider finger paint to be a controlled substance. You've mastered the art of placing large quantities of pancakes, eggs, and bacon on a plate without any of them touching each other. You cling to the high moral ground of, of no toy weapons, and then your child bites his toast into the shape of a gun. You know you're an advanced, you're an advanced momhood because you hope ketchup is a vegetable because it's the only one your kid eats that you're that you use saliva to clean your child's face how many of you have, have your mothers have been on that lick and then lick your yeah Doesn't that give you the willies when you think about it don't i didn't ask you if you did it i just asked if your mom did it to you well leanne was right in her writing it is advanced momhood and uh and i know that all the time that moms are appreciative of the privilege of being moms, but they're overwhelmed and they're overworked. And, and yet sometimes they go, I don't have what it takes. And that's the question, is it really worth it? But, but when it starts out, it really is. You're absolutely exhilarated by the experience, mixed with fear and anticipation, but you're exhilarated. As the Proverbs puts it, may your father and mother rejoice and may she who gave birth to you be joyful. You, you know it's a joyful experience to be a mom. And we know that what God says about children, I'm reminded of the words of David Jeremiah, who wrote, God sees the children he gives us as benedictions, as graces of life. And it's true. I've been there. So have you, where you see these children are just a benediction. They're like a blessing to us. Consistently, the word seems to point to this special place we get to be as parents, particularly as, as those of you who are moms, to be a mom and the joy of having children. Psalm 37, they are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. And that's the way you view your children. You view them as a blessing. And, and parenting is not a 100-meter run. It, it's more like a marathon that goes on for days. And it can be just downright 
exhausting. And, and then you make the mistake of teaching your children to talk. Shouldn't have done that. And then to walk. Shouldn't have done that. And then the worst thing you do is teach them to think. But you want them to think like you. You know, you want them to think good thoughts, like your thoughts. And then they end up like you, but they aren't good thoughts, which is part of the problem. It can be exhausting and challenging. And the expectations you have, even when they're not verbalized, you still have those expectations and they're not being met. And maybe you identify with the psalmist, who put it this way, Psalm uh, 69. I am a foreigner in my own family. I feel like an outsider. A stranger in my own mother's house. For zeal for your house consumes me. The insults of those who insult you fall on me. He's saying, you, he's saying, I feel like an outsider even among the people that I grew up with. Those closest to you can hardly stand you. They don't even talk to you. You're not alone. If you're, if you're in a dysfunctional kind of family, by the way, every family has its own dysfunction. You just have to figure out what it is. Every family has some dysfunction, and, and yet all families seem to make it somehow because it's God's plan. It's just the plan. So we modify along the way, and what we call that in ministry, when, when people walk in with their dysfunction, we call it knots in the family tree. It's a beautiful tree, but when you get up close, you see knots in the tree. Someone after first service said, I thought you said nuts in the tree. <laughs> that might work as well. But being a good parent was going to take everything that you have plus some. You'll be driven to your knees in prayer, seeking wisdom and strength and, and understanding from the Lord. And you'll ask yourself, you'll, honestly, you'll get to a point where you're exhausted beyond even what sleep can provide. You're exhausted and frustrated, and it's beyond what you can do. And, and you'll ask yourself, is this really worth it? Is it really worth it? Could I have had a more balanced life, a more restful evening, a quieter morning? Could I have had the privilege of more travel and fewer bills to pay and quite less stress? Could I, could I have had a different kind of life? And you'll ask yourself in the quiet, the, the quiet recesses of your own heart, is this parenting gig really worth it? And the answer is no. It's not worth it. It's because you're going to end your life frustrated, disappointed by kids who let you down, angry, exhausted, broke, because you had expectations that could never be met. And so here's how we respond. It is all going to be in vain unless, Psalm 127, the Lord builds the house. I want to take you there to Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labors, the builders labor in vain. It's not going to work, he says. This will be useless unless the Lord builds his house. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early, you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, but he grants sleep for those he loves. Have you ever gone to bed with your husband or your wife? There's just the two of you in bed. You wake up in the morning, there's like, other people there. Anybody else? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Have you ever woken up? You don't know how they got there or when they got there. Have you ever woken up and you're on the couch? They're in your bed. You're on the couch and you don't know how you got there. Yeah. 
That's scary. He grants sleep to those he loves. Verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring uh, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born to one's youth, in one's youth. Blessed is the man and the woman whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with them, uh, their opponents in the court. Is this parenting thing worth it? Well, not really. Not unless the Lord builds the house. But parenting is worth it. Number one, let me give you four pieces here. Parenting is worth it when the Lord does build the house. Verse one, unless the Lord builds it, this is in vain. This is hopeless. We are hopelessly defeated apart from almighty help from a supernatural source, and that's only God who invented this to begin with. And if he doesn't watch over the city, doesn't matter what the guards do, doesn't matter what trap you set, doesn't matter what you do to, uh, to raise your children, it will all be in vain. But if you do it the way God designed, then you have a chance. Then there's this opportunity. This could really work. That means we follow God's direction regarding the family, not just build a family any way we want, but it's God's idea. Now, the Bible records for us all kinds of families. And people will come to me all the time and say, well, the Bible has polygamy, for instance. Yes, it does. But God never endorsed that. It's just historically writing about it. The Bible also talks about murder and jealousy and rage, horrible things. That's not meaning that God endorses those. He's just historically writing about them telling you what life is like. But when God is given the opportunity to explain what a family looks like, he puts it this way. Genesis chapter 2, pretty early in our Bibles, second page in. Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, cling to his wife, be one flesh, and have no shame. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father. Number one, get this. If you do not leave mother and father, you're probably never going to cling to your wife or your husband. Uh, marital problems are because we don't leave home. So when, you're, when your kids marry, change the locks, cancel the checkbook, do what you need to do to say, I need their, your marriage to, yeah, I get claps for that, it's true. You, you need to be leaving so you can cling to your spouse. You can always come back, we make it too easy. So there has to be a leaving process, and it needs to be cut pretty clean. Then cling, that's this principle of unity. So there's separation, there's unity, and, and in that, cling to the wife, and they're naked, there's no shame. That means there's open transparency, and, and there, there's, there's nothing that, keep, that can separate them. There's, they, they can be open and honest with each other. That's the definition now, that husband-wife relationship. And Paul will go on to say in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands are to love their wives, Wives are to submit to their husbands. Children are to obey their parents. Not just like, okay, maybe yes, maybe no, take it as counsel. No, obey. What part of no don't you get? Okay, write that down. Just, and you know you have a super mom on your hands when every sentence you say is, I said it and I'm the mom and that's what I mean. Or I said it because I am the mom. When you say those phrases, you're the super mom that the Carter's talking about. Ephesians chapter 5, there's this loving kind of lead the husband takes on. There is this winsome kind of honor that the wife has. In obedience, 
that the children must have or there will be in their lives disobedience and disarray. And we're seeing that in culture today. Quite frankly, with an absentee dad, and I don't want to be too negative on Mother's Day, it's probably not appropriate, but society's paying dearly for breaking the model. When, dad, when dads are absentee and they're not loving family as, as top priority, you can expect kids to rebel and to be disrespectful. And then if they don't find authority uh, structures within the home, then they're not going to use, they're not going to practice authority structures in community. And we see it with crime rates. Disorder in every, in every corner. So there's the absentee dad. There's the disrespectful wife making mockery of men in general and a husband in particular. There are rebellious children who don't submit to authority. And that's the product if we don't follow the pattern God has designed. The Lord must build his house, but he's got to build it his way. And if you build it his way, it'll work. Every other way, it will not work. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, it's just going to be in vain. So parenting is worth it, number one, when the Lord builds the house. Number two, parenting is worth it when we see children as a reward. When we see children as a reward. Children are a heritage from the Lord, verse three. Offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. From the opening pages of the Bible, Eve even declares her little baby is not from Adam. No, this baby comes from the Lord. Sarah and Abraham, even in their age, realized as they have a, a baby son, they knew the Lord provided this child. Both Rachel and Ruth, Old Testament characters, had children in unusual circumstances. They knew this baby came from the Lord. Understand this. Every conception, every birth is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And so we view these children as a heritage, a gift from the Lord, and a reward from him. Wouldn't it be cool if you're in the lobby and some guy walks into the coffee cup discussion? Yeah, my wife and I are going to have another reward. Wouldn't it be cool? No, in the lobby what I hear is, yeah, my wife and I are going to have another tax deduction. And it will be a tax deduction, but not nearly what you're going to put into that child. View them as really a blessing, as a reward. They are like arrows in the hand of the warrior. God is saying, just like arrows in the hand of a warrior, that's just how normal it is. So it is when you see a husband and wife, that's how normal it is that you should see children. Children were made for parents, parents were made for children. When you see a warrior in his backpack, is probably going to be some arrows somewhere. You can just expect it. And when you see a couple together, what should you see right behind them? You should see little arrows behind them called children, little blessings. That's just normal and to be expected. The Lord places those in homes with a mother and a father. Get this. This is huge in society today. God gives children not to government. God gives children to families. Okay? We get that down. You understand. We're responsible for these little ones. Nobody else. Now, if government has to step in and help occasionally, that's okay. If grandma and grandpa help, great. If a school helps great or a healthcare provider helps, wonderful. But who's ultimately responsible? Mom and dad. And when we step up and take our responsibilities seriously, that's following the pattern of the Lord building the house. So it is possible for you to have a wonderful family relationship when the Lord builds the house, when you see children as a reward, and the Lord places these little ones in families, that's his plan you can step aside the plan, mess it up all you want. It's not going to work. It's like building it on a foundation. 
building the foundation and putting the house crooked to the foundation. It's not going to work for very long. Thirdly, parenting is worth it. Thirdly, when my perspective is blessed. When my perspective is blessed. Blessed is the man or the woman, really, whose quiver, that's the pack of the arrows, is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the court. Children are a gift from God. He views them as little blessings, little rewards. Get this, children are not a curse. They're not a hassle. They're not an accident. Children are not a surprise. They're a surprise to you, but not to God, okay? Um, Children can be a surprise to us, but they are rewards. Sometimes people will ask me too, what does that mean in the passage? Uh, What's a quiver? And and, uh, there's never a good answer because it's just a packet. But, you know, the, the government would tell you 1.7. You know, how many children should you have? 1.7. That's, that's a little difficult. Who are you? I'm 0.7. Yeah, my older brother made it first. I'm, I'm 0.7. Well, uh, the scholars differ on this. Some say, well, it's seven children. That's the perfect number. Others refer to it as the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, 12 children. Some would say, well, it's 12, uh, 12 children, but it could be more it's because they're blessings. But here's the overshadowing meaning. Children are an asset. They're strengthening to the family. The family stands strong, and they learn how to get along in society by learning to get along with other people in the family. So, And 1.7 doesn't do that usually. But when there are a number of children at different ages, they learn to speak up and down the vocabulary. They learn to get along with people who are bigger and smaller than them. It develops their negotiating skills. It's just a different society. It's, it's kind of the microcosm of what the big community is going to eventually be. If we view these children as not a curse, not a hassle, not a surprise, but as a reward, as trophy, trophies of God's grace. Now, I've read probably about five Commentaries. You can come up with five different meanings to this, but the bottom line is this. Children are an asset, and the, the, I base that going back to the end of the verse. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents. This, another translation says enemies in the court, out in the public forum. In other words, if you do this God's way, your children will be a force to be dealt with. They will protect your family and, and each other, and they will be able to stand and stand well. Standing alone, if you're an only kid, that's a scary thing. Standing with a cluster, that's a small army. And they know each other. They'll, they'll defend each other. This is the picture the scripture paints consistently throughout the word. The perspective is these children are, this is a blessing to us. So number four, parenting is worth it when I instill faith. Again, verse one, unless the Lord builds the house. This is a house built on faith. This is a house built on faith. Unless the Lord builds the house, I have to do it the Lord's way and trust him along the way. And I'm reminded, even as I read Psalm 127, I'm reminded of a woman who is mentioned later in the Bible. She's a woman of faith, but her husband, we're not sure what happened. He either died or abandoned this young mom. And so she raised her son by herself with the help of her mother, so this little guy grew up with a mom and a grandmother. But they instilled in this little guy eyes and heart of faith. And they were among some of the earliest believers in Jesus Christ. 
And he, 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 you have to understand too, they lived in a culture that did not honor women. They didn't even count them when they were taking census. It was just, that's just the way it was. If you go back to the story of the birth of Jesus, Jesus was born, what town did they go to? They went to the town of Joseph, not of Mary. Mary didn't count. So here, when you get to the words of Jesus, you realize Jesus honors women more than the Roman Empire did, and the Bible itself honors women, exalts them really to this rightful place in society. But these women were really swimming up, up against the stream, against the flow. And so they really had their hands full with this little guy. But they raised young Timothy to, to be a young man of great faith. And if ever, a, uh, if ever a mom could be given a pass, it'd be in a situation like this. You're a single mom, and this kid's damaged. We don't know where dad is, and it's society's fault. But she didn't make excuses. She brought him to faith. She did the best that she could. And in walks the Apostle Paul, who becomes the male figure in that home, and the guy that Timothy will need. And Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That is a faith that is a wonderful, pure, holy faith, he says, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded, Paul writes, it lives in you as well. You see, the Bible sprinkles great women of faith throughout its writings, like Jochebed, the mother of Moses, great woman of faith. She only had him just while he was a baby, yet he became a great guy of faith. She only had him for a short period of time and not all the time. I think of Priscilla, a humble, humble servant of the Lord who was an articulate teacher who defined the faith and, and defined for us what we would call risk-taking kinds of faith. Or a Phoebe who was a servant of the church of Jesus Christ who cared probably more than it was necessary and certainly more than what was deemed wise. Lydia, the business lady with eyes and a heart of great faith. Of course, Mary and Martha, and we can't forget the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is also the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. And, and these are all great women of faith. So I'm going to leave you with this one, one sentence, and then we're going to pray. Here it is. 100 years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was the type of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be different because I led a child to faith in God through Jesus. 100 years from now, all that other stuff really won't matter. What will live on is that I brought a young child to faith in God through Jesus. The temptation, I'll be honest with you, the temptation today is to raise up an outstanding athlete, an academic whiz kid, an attractive popularity winner. But what we have to do is we have to raise up a generation that, that prays, and, and we have to pray for them that, that in our home, this would be a child that would live for your glory, that a new generation would stand, that a legacy of bold faith would be built upon the precepts of the word of God, that this young generation would have a heart that's tender to what really matters in life, a character as strong as a healthy oak tree, a head for thinking straight, but, a, but being known for being exceptionally caring, 
and, and, a, and a life of service when selfishness takes the back seat, even though that may be the trend of the day. Moms, it's, it's tough to be a parent today. Our, we honor you today for giving it your best. But it's totally possible when you do it the Lord's way. It's totally possible when you do it the Lord's way. And let's ask him together that that's what would happen in our lives. Would you bow with me in prayer? And let's stand to our feet as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we love our moms and we thank you for giving us moms. Some of us come from uh, broken homes, so we have multiple moms and we're grateful for the good influence that each offered. And as we say thank you for those women of great faith, we ask that you increase our faith and bless us. I pray for the moms in the room today. Give to them hope, encouragement, to do what's right, to do what's good and what's wholesome and what's downright holy. And keep us from somehow missing the mark and shortchanging ourselves and shortchanging our families and certainly shortchanging the glory that could be yours ultimately. For we want to have strong families and bold faith. We want to be spot on with your word and we want to be known as people not only of the word and of great faith and of great love but of great courage and wonderful hope. And we know, Lord, it's not possible unless the Lord builds the house. And so we thank you, Lord, that you go with us and before us and behind us to build this house. Give to us, I pray, moments, because that's what we're going to get this week. Moments around the dinner table or at bedtime, at bath time. Moments with our kids, um, and they're far away at finishing finals and we're on the phone. Give us teachable moments when we sit down, when we get up, when we lie down, when we go for a walk, give us those kinds of moments to interject little bits of faith because that's when it's going to happen. And may we be people who build our homes the way you described in your word and prescribed in your word. And unless the Lord builds the house, and he is, and it'll be in vain, and since the Lord builds our houses, Lord, may they live to your glory for a 100 years from now. And we pray this in the strong, wonderful, resurrected name of Christ our Savior. And the church says, amen.